This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. He's a writer, a podcaster, a Lego master, and more. It's Jason Klom. Hi. Hello, thank you for being here. I wrote up my notes so quickly, I didn't actually write down that you're a writer and podcaster. I wrote, mm-hmm. he is a writer and a podcast. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you do as many as I do in a week, yeah. at this point, yes, it's I am of, become podcast. You are become podcast. Yeah. You're a human podcast. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, this is your second time on Obsessed. You were here before mm-hmm. to talk about Lego. Yes. And I love that episode. So uh, much fun. It was a really, really great episode. I, I actually like learned a lot about Lego. Really? Yeah. Okay. And I spend more time... I have purchase more lego okay but i spend more time in the lego toy aisle at oh, target thinking like so good what if mm-hmm. what if i went down this road yeah yeah uh but as you see in my apartment mm-hmm. oh <laughs> i, I know make choices are you a batman fan i am okay like classic batman yeah okay so did you see like the bat cave the classic bat cave that was this tall that they were selling a couple yeah. years ago yeah i almost yeah. bought it <laughs> uh, but i'm like no that's terrible i need health insurance you know. <laughs> health insurance or the bat cave mm-hmm. these are our choices i chose health in 2016 17 18 you chose health mm-hmm. and do you think about that every time you go to the doctor like <laughs> is this better than the bat cave no because it would have been my wife's i would have given her the bat cave because she's a bigger fan okay i've been shitty to buy that for myself it is an interesting thing though when it's something that's a large physical display mm-hmm. and you live with your partner and it's like it's for you you're right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you would have shared the back game. That's uh, what I'm driving yeah, probably. at. Probably. Okay. Probably. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so I, I go through people's nouns, you know, to introduce you. Do you, do you feel like those are uh, writer, podcaster, mm-hmm. Lego master? Yeah. Is that what you'd say? Would you add anything yeah. else? Actor. But I mean, I don't, you know, it's so rare that I, it's like once a month that I act, act. Okay. Well, tell me about that. Um, I'm in a show called A Drinking Game. Right. Yeah. Uh, you co-produce that, right? No, I don't. I would love to. But okay. uh, I, I'm the reason it came to Minneapolis. So okay. there's a Minneapolis version and a New York version. I'm kind of the bridge to the Minneapolis version. Okay. But like, long story short, it's a stage reading. I, we drink audience drinks. We usually do 80s, 90s movies, kind nice. of. Sometimes a little bit later. Uh, we just did, um, how have I forgotten it already? Oh my, we just did Elf. Okay. And <laughs> uh, it was super fun. Yeah. yeah. We sell nice. out every month. Yeah. It's good shit. Awesome. So yeah. I think uh, that's come up in the last couple episodes of mm-hmm. Obsessed when I ask people about their nouns, this feeling that you there's a quota for how often you do something or how visibly. Uh-huh. And I like knowing that everybody has those moments where they feel like I need to clear some bar y- yeah. to be the thing that I am. Right. But to me, I feel like if you act, you're an actor. For sure. I mean, I just literally cut a movie that I star in, but like I... <laughs> but I'm not really an actor. You know, I don't know. Like, yeah. <sighs> It's a noun. It's it's what you what do you think of yourself? Not when you know, I first moved here, clear. the multi hyphenate thing was just like so frowned upon. They're like pick oh, one really? thing, and they were right because look what I mean. I have a day job. I mean, what yeah. the fuck am I doing? <laughs> but like the multi hyphenate has also made me like be a jack of all trades, which is an okay thing. Yeah. All I right. Like well, that's it. a new new noun. I'll use the next time you're on the podcast. There you go. That's jack fine. of all trades. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, speaking of trades, you have yes. yet another one we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. and that is your obsession, which is comedy archiving. Yeah. So. Tell me exactly what you, I understand what both those words mean in sure. English. What do you mean by them? Well, it can mean so, so, so many things. Okay. Uh, so, but for my purposes, and not that I do this a ton, I have a very good friend named Taylor. 
uh, Taylor Jessen, who is the Firesign Theater's archivist, cool. who came onto my podcast years ago and made me obsessed with the archiving work he does, which is, and I've since met other archivists who do the same thing, which is we work, specifically he works for the Firesign Theater, old sketch comedy group, only two of them are left out of the original four, and sometimes they do re-releases of their old albums or... Um, Let's see, like uh, re-releases or new releases, stuff that they found in the archive. Okay. And the way it is now, it's very hard for any artist to get their original masters, stuff like that. So one of the things Taylor has done, not necessarily for the fire sign, but this is how he learned to do it, was through the fire sign, is take old LPs, clean up the art, re- re- re-typeset everything, which is very complicated, Yeah. and clean up all the audio. And he's released, he's got a blog that he, where he re-releases people's albums. Not re-releases, he just puts them out there because like, you can't find these. You can't buy these. Nobody's having money stolen from them if these are out there for free. Right, nobody's hunting them down and exactly. saying, copyright, copyright. 100%. So okay. he puts those out there. But he has that experience and uses that experience in cleaning up stuff for Firesign and things like that. And like, I think when I first heard it, I'm like, that's not, doesn't seem half-assed, but it seems super weird. Like, yeah. why can't artists get a hold of this shit? Blah, blah, blah. It's because it's super, super, super expensive. And so it's, there are two types of archivists. Like, there are people who have library degrees. Um, like, people who work the Writers Guild Foundation that I'm going to start volunteering at. Okay. <laughs> they, they, they go through just boxes, boxes, boxes of shit. And it is monotonous and probably a bit boring where I, I when i went and visited like these people were enjoying themselves but they're library nerds so they're like they're like they've got like these papers and they're like what's on this page what's on this they type it all down okay you it's coded so you know where the hell to find it so if anybody ever needs to know what did uh, this writer for your show of shows like what did uh, what did they write on this day like you could help them find it oh, that wow. kind of thing so there's that archiving which takes a library degree and a certain degree of experience experience then there's what my buddy taylor does which is Started out as an amateur and now is a full-blown professional. And I know a bunch of comedy archivists who do what he does, too, which is clean up records. Or, like, um, remember Laugh.com? I think they might still exist. Laugh.com reissued a bunch of old albums okay. and things in the late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. And people were under the impression, oh, this is this is a CD, so this must be cleaned up, blah, blah, blah. No, it's just a digitized record. I know a okay. guy who was digitizing some of the ones that I bought. And they were from the best quality records he could find. But every crack and hiss and... Yeah, yeah. well, they, and they removed them as best they can. Taylor's an expert. Like, he knows... He literally can identify a pop by looking at the waveform. Like, okay. he knows where how to pull those out. It's insane to me. Um, so there's that kind of a thing. And uh, I, I've been helping him with the Firesign archive a little bit here and there. Okay. Uh, because they just... Uh, the, the Library of Congress just bought their archive. So I helped him digitize all their VHSs. Oh, and wow. I am so all over the place in saying this, but that's just because because of him. I'm super obsessed with archiving comedy. Okay, so right now you are gonna you're gonna intern mm-hmm. uh, at, at where? just volunteer at the Writers Guild Foundation. Writers it's, Guild it's, Foundation. Mm-hmm. You've been Hills. helping your friend with Firesign. Mm-hmm. And now, are you doing any specific mission or task yourself, or are you right now being introduced to this world through those in bits places? and pieces? I am doing it. Okay. So other than helping him, because digitizing VHSs is very super simple. Um, I started, so I think I had mentioned to you on the way up that last time I had thought, I want to do archiving. And then I realized halfway through even the thought that it was a terrible idea because the only thing I'd archived <laughs> is my own shit. Yeah. Which was good practice because I've got reams of paper. I've got 
hundreds of hours of VHS to digitize and clean up and do things. But it's my stuff. Yeah. Nobody cares about that. It's fine. Well, so, I think there could be an argument made that not that many people care about some of the things that are being archived, right? Absolutely. But that's the point that of is, archiving. Ab- is- that is actually kind of the point. It's one of the things that I'm kind of working on with some people. Um, but the stuff that I'm actively working on now is... Um, did we talk about Von Meter at any point on my podcast? If uh, I talk to you about Von Meter? I don't think so. Okay, so Von Meter is this very tragic, sad story. He's a guy who was an unknown comic, did an okay impression of Kennedy, looked like Kennedy, had this skyrocketing of career, and then suddenly <laughs> the president is murdered and um, loses his career, loses his job, can't do his shtick anymore, tries to do another shtick, nobody cares. All it does, you remind me of my dead president, so okay. what else is he going to do? Yeah. Falls apart. Long story short, uh, this year I interviewed his widow. Um, she's a very sweet woman. She lives in Maine. And it was a matter of, I'm the first person to call her and talk to her about it. And I said, look, if you have an archive, if you've got boxes of shit, send them to me or I will find a way to come get them from you in Maine. Yeah. And I will digitize them because this guy, whatever he's got, whatever he's got left in his shit for after these drunken stupors and drugged out stupors that she described, she went to just gory detail <laughs> of what his life became. And what, and she recorded this for your, your podcast? For my podcast, yeah. And I, I, I called her the, up thinking... This is the Comedy on Vinyl. For Comedy on Vinyl. Okay. I called her up thinking, that we're going to we're gonna get a new twist on this story that his life is... No. <laughs> nope. It's so you, worse. You got tragedy on it's vinyl. It's worse. Yeah. Like she, I mean, she literally... She loved him. But the, her story of him picking her up is like so predatory that I'm like... Okay, don't know where to go from here. Let's just talk to you and about you. But long story short, I'm still interested in his archive, even if he's a fucking weirdo. And um, so at some point, I'm going to have that archive to digitize for her and might not ever make any money, but I might be able to send it to someplace like the Writers Guild Foundation. Yeah. It's just preservation. I I have a feeling like a lot of the stuff he made was not necessarily stuff that would have made any money even if he had released it. Yeah. But that's not it yeah you know so let's talk for just a minute about your podcast so you can be on vinyl which Mm -hmm. you've kindly had me on multiple times it's a ton of fun yeah uh do you consider that archiving because for people who haven't listened it's Mm. people talk about albums that Mm -hmm. other comedians talk to you about albums other comedians albums that they really like or people in general Mm -hmm. um and a lot of times it's the famous ones, but like you and I have been doing anytime I come on, it's just like, tell me what random yeah. junky stuff that other people aren't interested in. And I'm happy to talk about it. So I'm much fascinated fun. by comedy history. So you're, you're for that podcast. You are kind of digging up some more obscure stuff. For sure. Do you consider that archiving? Because I consider you're kind it of recording its existence. It's a spark of that because it's, it's sort of like a, an invitation to archive it. Yeah. And if I continue to be interested in it, maybe I will do it. Although, I mean, I don't know. Maybe somebody's listened to it and said, hey, oh, cool. We, you know, maybe I'm interested in this. Now. I mean, like the Library of Congress has listened to the show. I know that much. Oh, really? To do a little bit of research themselves. You know, because they're like, oh, I need to find out about this person. This You interviewed this guy. So I know, because I try to get some Library of Congress people on. Uh, and they said, oh, yeah, we've heard of your show. Blah, 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 blah. And... Um, what was your question? <laughs> I was. I, I was at, I, I, this caffeine needs to go away. I am. <laughs> you're flying on Dr. Pepper, uh-huh. huh? No, you're, you're fine. Uh, I was asking you, and you answered, if you consider the podcast comedy on vinyl right. a form of archiving, which I think it is. Um, if the Library of Congress has reached out to you about mm. it, I think it has a little bit of an element of archiving. Maybe, yeah. So let's get into a little bit why you're drawn to this. Sure. So obviously you're a big comedy fan. Mm-hmm. I know from talking with you on your podcast that you're interested in the evolution and the history of comedy comedy mm-hmm. but why the archiving is it for the really practical purpose of someday someone will want to know who wrote which sketch on your show show mm-hmm. or is it more just that idea of not i guess it's is it preservation or is it practical application it's that you're interested in both okay because, well, originally i think it was strictly preservation um 
I've been thinking about this and I broached it to some people who do both types of archiving and they have confirmed, oh yeah, those, there are those two types. And one is, one's simple preservation for the sake of preservation. The other one is preservation to make it available to people. Like what Taylor does, I'm going to use him as an example a lot because he is the best example I have of this, is he makes, he doesn't make this stuff to be available for the public all the time. Not for Firesign. These are guys who are not even retired, you know, they're, they're going to be working actors for a long time. So yeah. they need to make money. So why not serve their relatively big fan base yeah. with stuff that he can re-release? And whereas he does the other stuff just so that people have access to it. Like he, I'm trying to think what albums he's, he's cleaned up a few albums that have ended up accidentally, not by his part uh, on iTunes and shit. Like people have just okay. taken them and just like, I'm going to try and make money off of this. Yeah. Because he does such a good job cleaning them up. Okay. But there are two types. And like I, I wrote down earlier that comedy archiving is creative and focused hoarding and that's 100 (laughs) percent, and that's why it appeals to me okay so there is an element of just you are sort of collecting history and neatly organizing it Mm -hmm. yeah uh why do you think that speaks to you on on what different levels does that speak to you it's got i mean my collecting and hoarding started when i was very young like at a time when i just moved to the u.s yeah my dad was not like we're gonna get deep here my dad was not uh, in the U.S. yet, or he was in the U.S., but at a, he had stationed at a base, and we were living in upstate New York, blah, 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 and I was so, so spoiled, and I kept everything that was given to me, and I oh, don't really? know what it, I don't know what this little precious thing was. Maybe it's like, oh, this is permanent. Like, who knows? It could yeah. be anything. It's just like, this will not go away, but the the really bad part with that is I went to visit my mom's house a couple of years ago to see my grandmother before she died, and I'm like, hey, mom, do you still have any of my stuff sitting around in your garage? She did. Um, so I was a big fan of animation and stuff and uh-huh. all my toys are in there. Cool toys. Oh, I'll give some of these away. I'll keep some of these, took a couple of my Star Trek things home. And among those toys though, were also, um, like Burger King toys, but Burger King bags, okay. stained Burger King bags, Joseph. <laughs> no, I understand. This is a mental disability. Like this is like severe OCD for a clear problem. Like this is some stuff that a therapist needs to talk to me about, but it's definitely the root of wanting to archive shit because i still want to preserve stuff i've just now i can delegate i can uh what's the word differentiate between what's important and what isn't okay yeah yeah so uh and we talked about last time in the lego episode that you have a clear diagnosis of ocd right Mm -hmm. and you kind of feel like you know i guess my question if you don't mind answering is for yourself do you know where the line is for something being a part of ocd versus something that feels healthy and productive like mm-hmm. i am preserving this comedy for anybody who ever wants to use it do you mm-hmm. do you have a sense for yourself of, of I do. how those relate i hate to do the like pornography definition if i know it when i see it kind of thing <laughs> i do but i've been asking myself that question way more now because i'm very very the impulsive part is huge like if i find out about this new comedy group or this new comedian I'm like i've never heard of them before i should buy everything they have and then i realize no 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 you set this aside you listen to the one thing if you actually like it Maybe you can be the person to preserve it. And then you have to find a spark beyond just the impulse. And if you can find that, like, you know, if if I were my age now, 80 years from now, and I find a Joseph Scrimshaw album, I'm going to listen to Joseph Scrimshaw's album first, (laughs) rather than I'm going to buy everything he has and become an insane person. (laughs) Make sure you don't hate this guy first. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure I'm not a greasy Burger King bag of comedy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Fair enough. All right. Well, that covers the preservation side of it up to Uh a point. 
do you get excited about the practical application side of it? Like, does it excite you when you are recording an old, obscure album to think, wow, someday someone will be doing a live stage show about Maury Amsterdam and they won't be able to find this track, but they will now be able to find it because of me? Right. No, no, I don't. And But that is very much for preservation of... Any sanity I've got left. Okay. My ego is very healthy and also very fragile. Okay. <laughs> so it's a matter of, if I thought every podcast I did would could one day be important, I would not be doing any kind of podcast because then I'd also, it would collapse into itself. Yeah. So that's why <clears throat> the, the, the practical part is finding stuff that I know I can do something about or with. Okay. Like I just interviewed these guys, uh, not, well, one of them is still alive. These guys named Dawson and Harold. Now, they're a weird example because I literally just said, hey, I, I have higher standards now. But these guys are, they're not influential comedians and they never would have been. Okay. And that's no insult to them. Yeah. They were just two guys who literally, whenever one lived in Virginia, one had moved to New York to go to art school and do artwork. And he moved back, when he ever he would visit Virginia, they would get together and record comedy together, like my best friend and I do. And I'm like, this is so fucking charming. Yeah. And these albums are stupid. They are just, one of them's doing this high-pitched voice of a dog, and the other, <laughs> it's 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 all riffing. It's like a bad podcast that doesn't get edited down. Yeah. But it's fine. And they release, self-release these two LPs. But they would get together when they got, when they recorded for eight hours at a time. Like, they would just sit down for eight hours in this 50s and 60s. Because that's how, what they did when they got together. Yeah. And so you hear that. And I'm like, so do you still have any of those tapes? And this guy's memory is not great, but I spoke to his brother. And yes, some of those tapes still exist. There's something about that. There's cultural interest there. Yeah. There's my specific interest. It's not these guys are super important, but that's not the thing. You know, they don't have to be important, quote unquote, right. for it to be important to me. Right. I'd like to preserve all that shit before it falls apart. Yeah, but you know? I mean, I think there's a huge argument, and I'm sure the librarians listening are just like, of course, but like, there's an argument for some things won't ever be important unless they're preserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like if uh, if Durlith Lovecraft pal hadn't pushed to get everything published, right? No one would think Lovecraft is important, and now Lovecraft is this absolutely key connecting point for the history of yeah. horror, right? And supernatural storytelling and all sorts of things, mm-hmm. but. Like, so there is, do you get excited? I guess you just answered this. You don't get excited about, it's too much pressure to get excited about. I think, like, I think it if is I too much re- pressure. If I record these the brothers, or not brothers, these friends, mm-hmm. maybe they will become, retrospectively, a connecting tissue in the history of comedy and yeah. become important. Or just like a good point of research for somebody. Or at the end of the day, I mean, I've already done, uh, my one good deed was talking to the guy. The guy's yeah. old and nobody's ever called him up and asked him about this. How did you even find out about him? Uh, I was at, uh, is it okay if I plug a record shop? Sure. It's very good. <laughs> record Surplus in Santa Monica is the best record shop in LA. Okay. For me, because they just, they're loaded up with comedy and they have good quality comedy and then they've also got their quote unquote attic where you get it for 50 cents or a dollar. Oh, wow. And that used to be my thing. One of the good results of me finally being discerning was like, oh, I spent $7 on this weird, obscure record that I couldn't find anything out of. Uh, it's literally an anthropomorphic dog. There's a dog whose head has been photoshopped onto a suit. His name is Mr. Silver Spitz Dawson. Not joking. He's the main character in their second album, too. There's this beautiful art on the cover that one of the guys did. And um, yeah, so I found that, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? And yeah. I listened to it, and my wife's in the next room. She's like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's literally one guy's going, well, they're almost mumbling. And they're like, yeah, what are you doing? Well, I don't know. I'm the dog. And like, what? The the jokes are barely there. There is only a script after the fact. They literally went and wrote it down so they could copyright it. Yeah. And I was just fascinated by what this was. I didn't understand it. And I'm like, 
are either of these guys still alive? Yeah. And yes, one of them was. He was in the phone book, called him up. And it was an hour-long conversation where a lot of it was like <laughs> his brother Wayne was there. And so I was like, so how long did you live in New York? How, how long was I in New York, Wayne? And it was that for half of it. <laughs> but it was great. It was so entertaining. And he's just so sweet. And he liked, nobody's ever asked him about it. Yeah. Nobody cared. Wow. that's it, I, I'm not a hero for it. It's just like, I'm glad that I'm the guy who called. Right. But this is the days long before Kickstarter or Patreon. Mm-hmm. They somehow got this album printed and put in stores yeah well that's well no not in stores sorry uh, i should clarify it's a vanity press so uh that's another separate issue there's a book called um enjoy the experience that is hundreds of pages of vanity press album covers that are insane mostly music they're two of the only comedy albums in there i didn't even know i had the book i didn't know their records were in there okay so that was a fun experience getting to tell him oh you're in a book and he's like, oh, I had no idea. It was just the sweetest thing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Was it just, it must have been insanely expensive. Uh, I, yes and no, but one of them, the guy who actually put them out, who's not the guy who's still alive, he programmed computers in the Pentagon in the 50s. Okay. So he quit once he didn't want to do it anymore. Okay. And lived off of that for the rest. He was fine. <laughs> and <laughs> the only way they sold printed them. Printed vanity comedy albums. Yeah, two of them. Yeah. And the, the way he sold them was by mail order. Like, okay. I found an old Village Voice ad that they put up. They, so he just bought a bunch of ads in the Village Voice and other newspapers and just said, oh, these weird hippies might buy our shit. And they sold out of them yeah. eventually. Yeah. This is amazing. Um, so is your, you're going into this whole adventure of you want to do more mm-hmm. uh, archiving. Yeah. Do you have a general era or style of comedy that you want no. to zero in or focus on? Or do you just want to find stuff that fascinates you and record it? The latter, except like if it ends up being, I think at this point it's going to have to fall within the comedy on vinyl thing and not for the sake of branding, but because I, it's something I could still also turn into a podcast yeah. and, pardon me, get other people invested in, maybe. Like yeah. this, I haven't had any response specifically to this latest episode, but it's out there and that same thing might be discovered just as much as if I get to archive their shit, it might get discovered. Yeah. So I, I think it's got to parallel one of my other interests and preferably one of the podcasts. I do. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you were going to zero in on an era within vinyl mm-hmm. of comedy, do you, I mean, you must have a sense having done so many episodes of comedy on vinyl and being mm-hmm. a collector and being a comedy fan of the way comedy ebbs and flows and styles go Mm -hmm. do you have a favorite style or era of comedy style yeah sketch though and that's the hard part it's like there's not a lot that actually might be one of the reasons this the mr silver spitz dawson album is so charming it's improv but it's at least sketch okay (laughs) so it's which is weird like i say that and i love stand-up and most of my guests end up being stand-ups but i've been doing sketch since i was 13 okay so it's my favorite thing to do and i like I think the first thing I listened to and had my mind blown was Cheech and Chong. I wasn't smoking weed at the time. I didn't <laughs> care. Uh, I didn't do that till I was in my 30s. So it never, it never, that part never resonated. But sketch comedy has always meant a ton to me. And then, I mean, and so therefore, like, I'm actually kind of limited because sketch albums didn't really become good until the 70s, which is weird because I have no interest in the 70s as a decade except for sketch comedy. <laughs> I don't care. So, uh, I mean, this is just a great archiving question then. Mm-hmm. How much sketch comedy on vinyl can one possibly find? Uh, That's like, a good question. Like to my mind, like there's got to be some Saturday Night Live, like mm-hmm. just best of, right? Yeah. Uh, there's certainly like I know of like some Marx Brothers and stuff like that. Sure, you can find. And those uh, are shitty clips. Those are very terrible. I yeah. love the Marx Brothers, but those albums are terrible. Right, they're very bad. It's literally like 
Gary Owens from from Laugh-In says, and now Groucho is behind a couch. And then, <laughs> I'm not joking, I have an album like that. It's terrible. But I mean, the best ones are Python. Right. Uh, I say this a lot, but the albums are better than the shows. I love the shows, but the albums are better for me. Uh, there's uh, National Lampoon, which is very hit and miss and very filthy and not always good and doesn't really age well. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Other than that, glowing endorsement. Yeah, uh, Cheech and Chong. There's the credibility gap, which is something that I think needs much more exposure, which is weird to say that because it's literally Harry Shearer, Michael McKean, uh, David L. Lander, and um, oh my God, is it the, is it the three? Is my brain just entirely just quitting on me? But yeah, either way, Michael okay. McKean and Harry Shearer and David L. Lander. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is there a renaissance of people doing comedy sketches for podcasts? Is that happening a lot? I mean, I know there's things like, you know, Super Ego, there's obviously, super ego. that's, you know, improvised mm-hmm. sketches. Um but I know that there's like a huge renaissance in, you know, what I would have previously called like old radio theater. Sure. Of people doing like horror and adventure and science fiction and storytelling mm-hmm. in podcast form. Is right. that happening with sketch comedy? It might be. And I'm sure people will tell me it is or isn't like real <laughs> harshly, but I don't know. Yeah. Most of the podcasts I listen to are like this. They're conversation or interview podcasts. It's yeah. weird. I love Super Ego. That's my shit. Yeah. You know, I really love that. And like Matt Gorley's been a dude who's helped me out with a lot of stuff. So like big supporter of them. But I, other than them, I don't know. I'm sure there are. Yeah. But it's mostly improv, you know, or like solid mixes. Like Comedy Bang Bang is quote unquote an interview show, but it's also like it's improv, you know? Yeah. So it's almost sketch. Okay. No. So I'm you, sure there I'm sure there are that I just don't know anything about. I just don't listen for it. Okay. I like it con- contained within an album. Yeah. I like it like hey, I committed this thing. I'm going to have to spend $4,000, which is a very specific number that I know because I'm working on it right now. I have to spend $4,000 to commit all this to fucking vinyl, you know, like I, and it's got to be important to you enough to fucking release your own album. Okay. When you say Mm -hmm. $4,000, what is that at number four? That's mostly for the pressing. And if you're going to have the same plant, print out your records and shit. And this is- Okay. That's what it costs nowadays to have anything on vinyl. For like, if you want to do a run of 500. 500 copies. Mm -hmm. Okay. $4,000. Okay, wow. I mean, less than that, but I mean, like, I know that there's, like, shipping and shit, but also, like, I'm going to pay, finally going to be able to pay an artist to do the fucking artwork on my album when I do it. Okay. You know, like, not going to do it myself, which is, like, it usually looks fine, but it's not what I'd want. Like, one of my favorite artists has agreed to do my fucking record art, so... Oh, that's great. Yeah, but you, I, I like when people commit to it. It's like, oh, here's a thing for you that I made specifically. I, ju- I didn't, I don't want to say just sit in my apartment because <laughs> that is what Matt Gurley does and he does it brilliantly. But, you know, like, I just, I don't know. I like having the one thing yeah. you can hand to somebody. Yeah, the, the physical object. Yeah. Okay, so you're working on an, an album of sketch comedy mm-hmm. that you're recording, like, uh, in your home? Yes. That's awesome. So mm-hmm. it's designed to be audio sketch comedy, not mm-hmm. the kind of sketch comedy that I think ends up on vinyl a lot of something that has been translated sure. shittily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay, that's very cool. Uh, I want to ask you about podcasting, because obviously you do a lot of podcasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, for these older albums that you're archiving, mm-hmm. there's the ones that anybody who's spent any time in a record store knows that... You can find a million copies of any Steve Martin album because yep. it was popular, but mm-hmm. then you'll find obscure ones or ones that no one knew existed, uh-huh. like Mr. Doghead. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Doghead, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, no disrespect to the actual title, <laughs> which fine. I didn't remember. Podcasts are kind of in this interesting place of like, well, they kind of don't need archiving because they're already digital. They're mm-hmm. being stored and saved and yep. kind of by definition... Mm-hmm. In a way, they're just as ethereal, even though they're sure. already saved, because there's too much for anyone to 
ever mm-hmm. listen to sure. or absorb, right? Yeah, yeah. stresses so, me out. I don't like thinking about it. Thanks for fucking bringing it up. <laughs> you're welcome. This is why I hate the internet. I love it, and this is the thing I hate about it. Yeah, well, you're you're not alone. How do you how do you deal with that? So, well, I guess looking forward, how do you want to deal with it? On mm-hmm. one hand, you're saying I'm so excited about comedy archiving; it, mm-hmm. it fulfills these instincts, yeah, uh, in these desires, and you're obsessed with it, mm-hmm. and you're gonna go and make sure things are preserved for the ages, right? And then at the same time, you have to know I am recording my own stuff yeah. that will also disappear into the mists of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about it? Do you, does it make you want to like go back to your own podcast and digitize them again so they're preserved? Or like, what do you think about? It? I've I've been thinking about this a lot because I think uh, one thing that I've been stepping around and I always step around when I'm talking about archiving is like legacy. It's important to me. I would never deny that it would be super great if you know the world ended tomorrow and there's one computer left and my podcast on it fucking great like that's the terrible part of my ego that's the part i don't don't like you know i I don't think that's terrible it's pretty bad but i i I think (laughs) but this is why like in thinking about this fucking morass of digital shit that's out there that it will be impossible to archive you can't archive it as one person it it will never happen archive.org is like a really great website where they archive as much of the internet as they can but half the time it's broken links and shit and they did their best so you have to compartmentalize. You you can only pick and choose, and therefore, if you're going to pick and choose, you shouldn't. You should just pick and choose the shit that means something to you. Like if tomorrow Matt Gorley heard this and said, "I need somebody to archive my shit," I'd be like, "Yes," because I can pick. I, I will tell you everything I need. I will tell you how I can take care of your stuff because I've compartmentalized. I picked this one thing. Yeah. You know, like there's a sitcom that I'm trying to get the creator to let me digitize all the scripts for and anything else he has. Okay. I want to become the archiver archivist for that show, like. Just you have to pick these things, and then you be you know, and it's, it also becomes precious to you. It becomes like part of you, yeah. You know, and you become part of that history. And I think that involvement inherently makes you a better archivist. I think. Okay, that's you know? really fascinating to me. Uh, the the idea that you become a part of it, mm-hmm. that it that it's now a, a part of your legacy as well. This mm-hmm. is you know, yeah, in your obituary, you are the person who preserved X. Yes, that's really cool. If I were to die, for the record, I'm never going to die. <laughs> You're going to be preserved. I've never gotten computer. to say it on a podcast, but uh, yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I also want to go back to this idea that uh, I think all of us want to have legacy, and I sure. think that is uh, a part of our creative drive. I think it's a part of our drive to have children. It's a part mm-hmm. of we we want to have our time here on this mortal realm recorded in some way. Yeah. I don't. I think if there was a computer that had seven different people recorded on it and mm-hmm. you erased the other six right before you died <laughs> so it was only you then i'd say yes jason Klom, you're a monster yeah but just okay. the simple desire to want to be preserved and known after you're gone and right. have a record that you're here that makes sense that's true yeah you're making my ego sound much nicer than it really is <laughs> cool well feel free to push back and just reveal <laughs> the levels of horror i in don't your soul. know it does feel super dark to me there's this weird like because i'm not and I don't mean this in a self-deprecating way. I'm not anybody in terms of like in the annals of history, comedy history. That's that's okay to me. It yeah. took a long time to be okay with that. I could be. Who knows? And I could be on, you know, a- after my non-existent death. I could be that some people take a look at my shit and like, oh, they're actually making pretty good stuff at that time. Great. Yeah. Well, I can't be concerned with something I will never know about. I can't be concerned. I can be concerned with the idea of legacy. But if I concentrate on that too much, also, you get totally distracted. So the only way, at least taking care of my own shit, is just preserve as much of I- as I can. If I can make it available somewhere to people, great. I mean... 
I don't know. I'm, I'm making hay with it by talking with my best friend about it on the show I do with him, where like we talk about one sketch that we did going back to like 93. Okay. Anytime up till now. So, uh, I mean, that's. Yeah, that's a kind of yeah, preservation. It is. Instead of like direct legacy, like, hey, you would definitely love this sketch of me at 14 where I am saying, oh, super racist stuff because I don't know any better. Um, why not have the thing be us talking about it and yeah. acknowledging it and literally like becoming best friends on mic as we talk about this weird, crazy shit. That we yeah, do, you know? that's awesome. So you talked also about making your own record. Um, which is fascinating to me in somebody that is producing yourself a lot of digital content uh-huh. that strangely producing a physical item, uh-huh. <laughs> which is very popular now, but sure. it is an older technology of vinyl. Mm-hmm. Like that, Now that seems like a better way to preserve yourself sure. than hours and hours of digital content on a podcast to make this one album. Is it about the physical object? Or is it about uh, coming up with all of your best sketches and mm-hmm. feel like if people ever just had to find one thing, mm-hmm. here's this record, here's my stamp on the world? It should probably be the latter. Like, it is the best stuff that I have. I really like everything that's on it. Uh, and I have been, like, continually tweaking it. It's a script that I've had together for, like, five years. So if I okay. were to write, if I were to start from scratch today, it would probably still be ten times better, at yeah. least in my own brain. But... Yeah, it's very much about just having the thing out there. Because, yeah. I, I mean, if you do a podcast for almost eight years about comedy on vinyl, and you say you do comedy, <laughs> uh, you know, and I've yeah. already committed. Like, I've committed to I'm going to make the album, and B, I'm going to put it out on vinyl, which means I'm losing money. I'm going to lose $4,000. This is my commitment to the world. I'm going to lose $4,000. I promise you, world, you. yeah. I, I won't make any money back. I'm going to do what my buddy Taylor taught me is called drop lifting. Like if nobody buys the record, I'm taking 10 of them to Amoeba and I'm just putting them in the comedy section. I'm losing $8 a piece. I'm losing $80 if I do that. Yeah. What the fuck? Because at least people will see it and it'll be out there. It's a thing people know exists. Yeah. It could be a blip of a memory for somebody, but then they see it again later and it's important. Who knows? Yeah. I just want people to see it. Yeah. I think that's absolutely great. Um, I want to ask you in a larger sense mm-hmm. from comedy on vinyl, from all of your preservation at work and your future preservation work what do you think is the value of modern comedians listening to old comedy well i think a few years ago i would have said it's 100 percent necessary and if you do not do it what the fuck are you doing trying to make comedy now but i mean like that can't i've had so many wonderful comedians come on the show who like i didn't really listen to comedy albums or but I, to be fair a lot of them like did watch it on tv so not yeah. the album specifically so in terms of the actual format of an album, I can't really say that that's that important, but at least you, I don't think you'd want to do comedy if you hadn't at least seen somebody do it once. Yeah, know? no, so, I mean, that makes sense. But the sense. album itself, like specifically albums? No, I mean, I guess the, the larger of, not is it necessary mm-hmm. for a comedian, because obviously yeah. it's not, because young comedians break out and just have this totally fresh perspective and have do not have, yeah. like, I know the history of comedy and right. I know the evolution of the format. And, like, people just show up, and are amazing sometimes that happens so it's not about necessity i just want to know from a positive perspective what do you think the value oh the value is? of i'm sorry you, you clearly asked that question and i just accidentally <laughs> just walked around it the the value is um on the ego level and i'm going to talk about that a lot but on the ego level it's like think about <laughs> i mean think about what happens in in 80 years if your album's sitting there don't wouldn't you rather somebody listen to it and give it a shot learn from it even if you think the thing sucks like i've heard plenty of albums that suck but 
I will take a sucky album over, like, say, a sucky racist one, like a, a sucky okay one over a sucky racist one. The value is just is is learning how I don't know. God damn it, that's a good question, and I'm not and I'm I'm not answering it properly. Well, let me ask you a, a slightly different version of the question: Is you're working on your own comedy? Mm-hmm. What fresh perspective do you get by analyzing? Is this snippet of Mark Spiller's uh, clips good on vinyl? Mm-hmm. Is this Steve Martin uh, stand-up album, which is famous, but recorded in a very specific way, mm-hmm. stadium comedy in the right. 70s, and putting old comedy in its context, Yeah, does that help you think about what you want out of your modern see, oh, comedy okay. in this moment? Yeah, it does, because the one thing I realized last year, I tried to listen to a comedy album a day. Okay. What you realize then is most comedy albums are shit. And it's weird to realize that when you're doing a comedy a podcast dedicated to them. Yeah. It's like, oh fuck, most of these are garbage. That's why 10 people have picked Let's Get Small. You know, that's yeah. why so many people pick the same albums over and over again and why it's refreshing that you do not do that on my show. Um why do you say they're why do you say so many are garbage? They're after- not good. They just don't <laughs> age well. So they they don't age well. Okay. They don't they don't age well, but also like it's so hard for me to figure out how these got made, and I think it's a lot of them are vanity presses, and like, not to shit on anybody who's who would be called a local comedian. Being a local comedian, I think, is less of a thing now, because you've at least got the internet. Then, a local comedian was, you are a fucking dude here, even if you don't travel, or if right. you travel, like, you're selling your records, it's the only way anybody knew about your stuff. Like, just so much of it is just like, I know how to make these audiences laugh, and it'll... It, in the most crude possible way. They're all there to see me or see a certain type of comic. And it's just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't age well. And I, I, not sometimes the joke structure is not even good. Yeah. And I can't figure out how they, again, it's just, they paid for their own record. Yeah. And so you can at least learn. I mean, for me learning that so many comedy albums are crap taught me that I, you can take chances. Yeah. And so I don't mind taking, like I, I have one sketch on my own album that I'm really uncomfortable with. And I'm dreading cutting it. I'm really uncomfortable <laughs> with it. And I'm like, is this me at all? And then at the same time, I'm like, do I necessarily care? Is this maybe worth trying something? You know? Okay. I don't know. Like, I just, I feel like that's kind of what I've learned is that it's, it, I've learned that it doesn't matter. And yet it's also super important to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, see, that's, that's the conclusion that I've come to too. Cause mm-hmm. I, I love analyzing comedy as yeah. you know, and other people, you know, go to that frog quote of like, you can dissect it, but it'll die. Yeah. And right. I guess I love dead frogs cause mm-hmm. I love dissecting comedy. Mm-hmm. And to me, I've always been tortured by, there are some kinds of, there's some moments of comedy that can be timeless, particularly if it's really well-crafted physical comedy and you don't need any language. It's sure. just, you know, a, a, a really funny, well-executed pratfall. Yeah is funny because of our deep humanity and Absolutely. our deep sense of we are, we, we're from a civilization, we should be able to stand up straight. Whoops, no, <laughs> I walked into a doorframe. Mm-hmm. There's certain moments of comedy that are truly timeless. The vast swath of all comedy is about the time, yeah. it, the exact time it's made in. It's rough. The exact physical location mm-hmm. it's made in. And then also just sort of styles of comedy that evolve in lots of different ways that reflect the society you know yeah uh, I, I i think it's mickey rooney who has the great quote about like what's what's the funniest line that you ever got to say mm-hmm. and he's like why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side because mm-hmm. like, when i first said that that was breaking the joke format it was blazingly new meta commentary yeah, 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 yeah. you know instead of the oldest hackiest joke in the world and just joke structures change so i always wrestle with that with my own comedy of like mm-hmm. i have this instinct that i want to be able to make it timeless 
But a lot of times, I think a comedian's goal, their need is to please the people in that physical room yep. in that time, that month, that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wrestle myself with how much to just embrace nothing's going to be timeless. Well, you're doing comedy also in a time when it's been so... It's so important to like you gotta have your niche. You gotta have your thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you you you've gotta like it's okay if you fucking laser focus on this group of people. And you're therefore like if you did it and forgive me, have you done an entire album of just Star Wars comedy? Because uh, it, it's a mix of Star Wars and social commentary. Okay. So, See, yes. so like that's super specific. We know that at the very least that shit survived 40 years. So it's probably good for a bit. It's already super dated because it was right before The Force Awakens came out. <laughs> so it's like, you know, some like theorizing about Kylo Ren's lightsaber, which is just like dated as hell but, already. But it was like two years ago. My purpose as an archivist, if I were archiving your shit, would be to help establish context. Yeah. So... Whether it would, it wouldn't be like I'm gonna go. I'm gonna write some long ass essay about a blah blah. It would be at the very least understanding, so I could pass on to people. Oh yeah, well Joseph made this album here. This is about to come out. This is why it's important. And I think archiving is is about establishing context as much as you possibly can. It's really hard when you don't have it because I mean, like when I go when I went to the Writers Guild Foundation and watched the market. A lot of these people are super young, and I'm I'm like. I'm not judging, but I'm wondering how much you understand of, of what you're archiving at the moment. Yeah. Like, and maybe it's not necessary for you. Maybe it's only necessary for the people who are going to research it. But for me, as an archivist, like, I, the show that I like to archive for is news radio. Okay. And I do a podcast about it. It's like my favorite thing. And I've met so many people who are associated with it. And if that ever happens that I get to be the archivist, it's a show that I love. And it's yeah. super niche. But simply making the archive is at the very least establishing context that this was important to a certain group of people at a certain time. Right. You know, it's a very 90s show. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like archiving and preserving is important because it, it does give you that context that I'm sometimes searching for, like on comedy on vinyl. Okay. You know, where it's like, why the fuck was this? What is this? Reference to a fucking commercial in the Smothers Brothers song. Yeah, like what is only your hairdresser knows. <clears throat> if you haven't, hap- if I hadn't happened to hear the only your hairdresser knows commercial before I heard that album, yeah, because of Nick at Night or something, I wouldn't get it. It would yeah. mean nothing to me. Yeah, I I love that stuff for myself. Listening to old comedy, mm-hmm. like you know, I love Martin and Lewis had a very short lived radio show. Yeah, uh, and I love listening to like some of Dean's. Like I'm a perfect stereotype of a man versus Jerry's like I'm a demented child <laughs> mm-hmm. like that's timeless we understand yeah. that contrast but then I love it when they'd be like oh yeah well I guess uh, maybe you should tell that to Senator Lewison yeah, yeah, yeah. It, because of his desk and like <laughs> great great I could maybe google that and find out right like, why Senator Lewison and his desk is funny in that <laughs> in February 19 you know yeah 56 i guess uh, that's true though i mean like there's a universality of, of of some of it the specifics are great on the day and they they can carry you through and somebody like yourself or like me is like again i i could google it but it's fine i get it that it's funny it fucking worked in the room so it must yeah. have been solid and the rest of it i'm fine with so maybe you don't always need context but you at the very least need you know to preserve it so yeah that, you know it's there and yeah let people like us pick it apart until it's dead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also wanted to ask you about this present moment from an archivist's perspective, mm-hmm. because we know from history and entertainment history in particular that history can get misrecorded, yeah. so major things that were happening get forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking of like uh, Wheeler and Woolsey, mm-hmm. uh, the comedy duo. Who Sounds familiar, but I don't know who they are. 
Yeah, because they uh, one of them died in like thirty eight, and they kind of didn't go on to fame. Okay. I mean, they were just a duo, but they really did movies in a sort of a, a Marx Brothers like style, where everything was very like. Is there like a clip of them on YouTube? A few clips of them on yeah, YouTube? Yeah, yeah, and like... a couple of their films survived. Yeah, but like. You can look at Wheeler and Wilson and go, oh, other people were making movies in a similar style to the Marx Brothers. Yeah. Right. But we don't have that, really, that cultural knowledge. Mm-hmm. Or, like, uh, I'm a big fan of Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. And, like, I read a book about his actual music career. It's a great book that came out many years ago called The Song Is You. Mm-hmm. He's a singer that people generally know, Billy Eckstein. Mm-hmm. Like, people generally know him. But, like, this fun minutia of before Sinatra really helped to make long playing LPs, the dominant format of music. Everything was about singles. Right. And Sinatra was in this huge battle to be the most popular singer in terms of selling singles. Right. Against Billy Eckstein. But when the LP battle became the dominant form of music, the fact that Billy Eckstein was a monster when it came to selling sing- singles mm-hmm. just kind of got lost from general cultural knowledge. So those are just like two random examples from my own interest in entertainment history, mm-hmm. all of which is a long preamble to ask you. What kind of moments like that do you think could be happening now where something that you and I in the world accept like, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody knows that this is the way this right. part of comedy works or this right. part of podcasting works, but could be lost to time. Right. Like I, I've been wondering if it's like a certain type. I think shit like podcast networks and stuff, like I Ooh. think these conglomerations that we feel like are, that are brands and like we're so fucking fixed on brands, they're not going to be the next NBC. We take these, anything that you take for granted, you probably shouldn't, you know, because when NBC, CBS, ABC were created, they were created with the equivalent of billions and billions and billions of dollars, probably, that ensured their lifetime and ensured at the very least that they'd be branded on our memories. I don't know that even YouTube is going to be a thing that's still here necessarily. It'll be here in some format or another, but we take it for granted that we can, oh, you can just get all your TV on YouTube now. You can get this on, on a streaming service. CISO happened. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's going to be that. And that created, that was like CISO. That's actually a very good example of it. CISO fucking, uh, helped was the step could have been the stepping stone for people like, for people who are well-known in certain circles, but are not famous, 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 like Cameron Esposito, super well-known to a certain degree. Yeah. Rhea Butcher, same thing. Paul F. Tompkins, even like fucking everybody I know knows who he is. Yeah. But CISO was potentially, again, this thing that could, and it was fucking owned by NBC. And the fact that it could have been, it felt to me like a moment. It felt to me, this is going to be the time when all these, all these guys I'm a big nerd for, I'm going to start to hate because people are going to love them. <laughs> Fine. I'm like, more power to them. I want them. If, if you got a sitcom tomorrow, Joseph, I'd be very excited oh, for thank you, you. But I'd be very annoyed at you. I would ask you to archive it. Okay, dope. I Great. would pay well, you I'm to fine. Thank it. you. I'm, I'm fine with that. But no, I, I would, uh, at the same time, I, you know, I, I would want that to happen for you. And that'd be so exciting. I would love to watch it. Um, but... That platform fell the fuck apart. Yeah. And because nobody, again, buy one of those big, but they just, they're like, oh, this isn't working. Or this was not planned well. Whatever the hell happened. Our CEO disappeared. I don't remember what the story (laughs) was. It all fell apart. And there are moments like that where it's anything that you take for granted, like that you assume is going to be this next moment. And there are people who have no idea what CISO is. They have no idea who any people on CISO were. Yeah. I could ask my father, call him up right now. Dad, list of names. No idea. Yeah. That doesn't matter to him. And it's not necessarily generational either. It could be niche, entirely niche. It could be just podcast people who are super fucking psyched about CISO. Yeah. Like my brother and my brother and me. Their show was great. 
their podcast, dude, they're doing fine. But I'm yeah. just saying, like, there's there's these little that was a moment that fell apart. Right, right. And I mean, certainly just in terms of this is a really different era of time where we have that niche sort of mm-hmm. fame that's uh it is the internet version, so it's dispersed. Yeah. But it's the same as being the biggest draw in Cleveland. Sure. Right? Yeah. And outside you go twenty miles outside of Cleveland. Yeah. And, uh and we have that sort of spread out over the entire world because yeah. for some people Certain people are like the uh, uh, like the McElroy brothers. They're wonderful people. Uh, yeah. Um, and they are uber, uber famous. Uh, like you could just go on a subway and go like two people going like McElroy brothers. Mm-hmm. They are some of the greatest entertainers who ever lived. Mm-hmm. And then one person over. I have no idea who you're talking about. Absolutely. Right? And that's just that I've is I've seen this happen all the time. A different kind of fame, which will be really fascinating to see what what happens. Yeah. Like I'm fascinated with like. Uh, I think the the podcast uh, uh, conglomerates, that's not the right word, uh, the networks mm-hmm. is a great example. Because like a couple of years ago, Nerdist was one of the yep. biggest podcast networks you could be with. And it's mm-hmm. just kind of dissolving. Yeah. As a network for lots of reasons that we don't need to go into. Right. Um, uh, so I, I'd be happy to have another show. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have the time. A lot going on with that, uh-huh, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, but the, the yeah. like Feral that I was involved in mm-hmm. just uh, dissolved. Right. Uh, also, not going to get into that right now. Yeah. Um, but it would be fascinating if something like happened to the medium of podcasting, where mm-hmm. like some technology went in a different direction, and mm-hmm. iTunes just said, "We're not keeping this anymore." One hundred percent. Would it I've just been be that, that like thing. interview podcasts? Were it, it would be fascinating if a hundred years from now people didn't realize interview podcasts were a thing and mm-hmm. just think that there was a podcast called W2F with Mark Maron, because that's the <laughs> one that it. survived. That's my fear. <laughs> <laughs> no insult to Mark Maron. No, uh, that yeah, I know. And that, that scares... Well, here's the funny thing, just for a little bit of perspective. I have a quote-unquote network that I've created. Okay. A few little podcasts. Yeah. I've then technically outlived Nerdist, have I not? <laughs> I, do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. in the, in the ter- in, and in, in a long timeline, if, if Stolen Dress Entertainment exists in a hundred years my child and my very stupid grandchild takes on the mantle of my of my podcast network okay and again i'm not even sure podcasts will still exist but like if that happens it's technically outlived it and could be a bigger blip that's weird to me like and so it doesn't you know you don't know what's gonna do we have a second to talk about one specific example i can yeah i do just want to say though i think i think that's our goal as humans should always to be i just want to be a, a big blip. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about it just, uh, like uh, in terms of a map. Uh, I've been doing a lot of mapping for this research thing that I've been doing. And um, when you put a little pin on Google Maps or something, it's it's a much bigger point than is actually on the map. And you zoom yeah. out, zoom out, zoom out. You can't see. Thank, thank God that Google points with these little those little upside down teardrops and tells yeah. you where things are. <laughs> and the more you zoom in, the more you see that the, the, the blips are bigger and bigger and bigger. And that those those are the important little pieces. But there's so many fucking steps along the way yeah. that, you know, you, you don't know what was actually happening unless you're chronicling it. I mean, yeah. somebody should probably chronicle or archive the history of Nerdist, you know, uh, oh, or yeah. all these other ones or Feral, whatever the fuck. Like, right, because that shit's important. At least you've got your podcasts. You're, you're not an idiot. You're holding on to your shit. <laughs> but like... You know, uh, as a thing, that entire network doesn't, it's not, nobody was chronicling all of that at once as a network because they're like, oh, the network's there. The network's there. Yeah. Took it for granted. And the history will be written later if it is a big enough deal kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You said you wanted to talk about one other thing? If it's okay. Absolutely. Um, Go for it. I'm trying to figure out how much of this I should say, but it it is very related to archiving and it is like the deepest dive I've done on the podcast before. Um, 
and it speaks to legacy. It speaks to all the stuff we've been talking about. Um, Cliff Nesteroff. Do you know Cliff Nesteroff? I do not. Okay. He's a comedy historian. He's you pointed, a, pointed him out to me, so I looked into him oh, a little okay. bit. So I'm aware of his existence, but okay. I don't know him. Super nice guy. Canadian guy. Uh, he li- I, 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 he was down here for a bit working on his last book, which was uh, all about comedians, a history of comedy. And a lot of people love it, and it's great. And he came on, and he talked about this comedian named Dick Davey. Dick Davey, he didn't couldn't find, didn't know anything about him. Okay. Nobody knows anything about the dude. And... Um, it became my mission. I didn't tell him this. Like okay, we're sitting here talking. Dick Davy. I one hundred percent. Like I could have. That could have been the hour today. Okay. I'm not kidding. But I'm already doing my own episode about it. So that's why I didn't do it. Um. And he and I'm. He didn't know, but he put me on a mission. And so for like a couple of weeks, I'm like search and search, and I found a little bit of information on him. And then randomly, a month ago, after bits and pieces, I'm like, I'm gonna look again. So I get, and, and I decide to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and dig, and I've know who he is now like i know everything there is to know about this man okay i know i i obsessively dug through um footage of a film i'd never heard of to see if he's an extra in it and found him in it <laughs> i found because i i'm an expert at spotting extras like if you tell me right now i was an i was an extra in an episode of big bang theory i and told me that i would 100 percent i could find the back of your head okay because that's how my brain works <laughs> i'm an expert at it so i found the dude so you found dick davy yeah i found dick davy i know i've spoken with his family i've i've been given gifts by his family like put stuff out of his scrapbook now and um it's that is a good example of like how the podcast is probably going to become an archive in and of itself like that yeah. is a good it, this is a good example where i'm going to tell this guy's entire life story in one episode of the podcast okay i'm gonna put stuff up online so people can look at newspaper clippings of him and if his family wants to give me stuff of his i will archive it for them yeah um but he's an example who nobody if i hadn't dug yeah. Nobody wouldn't, even the guy who got me so psyched about it, he wasn't digging, you know, because yeah. he's like, well, no, I've, I'm busy. I'm writing a fucking book that people actually want to read. And so, you know, like that's, it's just a perfect example of like it, my brand of archiving, which yeah. is just a lot of research, a lot of digging. And then if somebody wants me to take care of their shit for them, I, for some reason, take it on. Yeah. You know? Okay, cool. Well, I want people to hear your whole Dick Davey podcast. Yes. But can you just tell me mm-hmm. what was the inciting thing about Dick Davey that made you go, I'm going to deep dive he on him? He didn't know who he was. Okay, it was that just was the, it. That it was, was just <laughs> the sheer mystery of it. Did you ever hear Mystery Show, the podcast? Mm-mm. Oh, fuck, it's so good. If there's an entire episode about a belt buckle and you won't be able to stop listening. Okay, I'm not it's kidding. It's just the mystery of the unknown. That yeah, was she the just, only thing. People would send her on missions. She would find shit. And I'm like, great. So I'm literally stealing her format for this episode okay. of my show. I think that's great and powerful because honestly, if I just saw an episode of a podcast called who was Dick Davey? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, yeah, I want to know. Yeah, and that's 100% what this is going to be about. That's awesome. And yeah, it's just a crazy deep dive. We're going to move on to our How Obsessed Are yes. You questions. Sorry. Oh, no, no problem at all. Uh, do you think about comedy archiving every day? Yes. <laughs> Even when you're not actively working on it. Yeah. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just where your mind goes. I was telling somebody today that like this is the thing I'm doing. Once I no longer have a day, my regular day job, this is what I would like to do. Okay, so if you could get hired to do this, yep. you, you want to I do probably this. can't, but okay. you know you have to have a library degree. But if I can find a way around that, let's fucking see. Well, it does seem like a natural combination of your interests and your yeah. personality and everything. So, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. When people walk into your home, can they tell you love comedy archiving? Comedy, yes. I don't know that they would necessarily know the archiving thing. You would yeah. have to. It is like by its nature a hidden thing. Yeah. You know? 
I think there might be hints at it because you record mm-hmm. at your home, sure, and you have albums around, right? Yeah, you have like albums on yeah, the wall. Yeah, but I, yeah, but I got, I've got nerd friends who own ten times as many al- comedy albums as I do. Yeah, but nobody's doing a compare and contrast when they walk into your home. <laughs> that is true, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There's like yeah. there's like six hundred albums in there. And okay, they're buried away in the office. But once you get in there, you would yeah. know that. Would you want to display it in some way? Would like you want a big poster of Dick Davey is yeah, a I mean, symbol of your archive? Yeah, but I but I still think they would just be, oh, you're a fan of this comedian. There's okay. no, I think it's the thing that you can't translate that you can't symbolize too easily. Okay, I don't know what it would be. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. I, don't know what the fuck it would <laughs> I be. guess you would have to scroll on the wall. Yeah, I, I, I come to the archivist. This is gonna happen. <laughs> would you uh, have a debate about comedy archiving at a holiday dinner? Like if you're having a holiday dinner and somebody's I like, "What's the point of that?" Would you? Oh yeah. Would you go out? One hundred percent. Don't fucking come at me with that. If somebody, yeah, one hundred percent, I would. Yes. Okay. You would even if it was disrupting the peace. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Very fun. Good. <laughs> you're a warrior. <laughs> uh, would you wear a T-shirt that says "Ask me about comedy archiving"? <laughs> no. 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 Oh, so you'd fight at the dinner table, uh-huh. but, but you wouldn't that's the, invite random that's strangers. That's too nerdy. I'm wearing a news radio t-shirt right now, and that's too fucking nerdy for me. No. Why is that nerdy? That's too much. That's like so, <laughs> it's so general. That's like ask me about error. I don't know. It just, okay. it's, it's so general where it's like, if it Comedy was... archiving is general? It it's not, but it's yeah. it's it's a it's thing it's a thing that begs zero questions and it's just like, what the fuck are you wearing? And I just don't want that question being asked of me. I would rather this confuse you than those specific words. It's just a very specific request. No, I would not put that okay, on. Okay, you so you don't want to engage about it that way. You, you not like that not no. from the random curiosity of maybe not that nice of strangers. Right. But only you only want to engage on it with somebody who wants to engage on it in depth, or do you not want to I'm conversationally assaultive. It will come up. <laughs> so that doesn't matter. Like, I will find a way to make it about me and about co- whatever I'm thinking about. And then right now it's comedy archiving. Okay. So it would happen. So if you in, if you got into a situation, like, let's say it's not, like, life-threatening, but mm-hmm. you're, in, you're in line for a long time for sure. a concert, and somebody starts up a conversation with you, mm-hmm. they're going to hear about comedy archiving. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, on some level, yes. Yeah. You, would, will you... Work it into the conversation, or you just feel like it would come up naturally. <laughs> oh, I'd try to make it sound natural, but there's no way it would. I'm not, I'm not as smooth as I think I am. Say, have you heard about comedy archiving? Anyway, yeah, it would be something like that. Yeah. Would you want to buy comedy archiving bed sheets? <laughs> now, I feel like I, this is going to, I'm going to have to turn this on you. You're going to have to tell me what that entails. No what the problem. What fuck is that? <laughs> I like asking about merch because mm-hmm. I think just. A, capitalism, being able to buy something, sure. and B, just having something physically real that makes your interest a physical thing that you can hold. Much like we're talking about your record. Right, but that you, is you, what the interest digitally, is. But you're going to be... So, so no, would you want just... to express this interest in comedy archiving in any other physical way? No, because it is strictly... The whole point of it is having a thing in your hands that is, that is the thing. Okay. You, representational, like... It's the difference between having a copy of uh, Flawfest in your hands yeah. and the master of Flawfest in your hands. Okay. The master's the fucking thing. The copy's great. Great album, by the way, people. Oh, it is you. one of my favorite comedy albums. Uh, having a copy is great and it's my thing, but this is the thing you put your fucking hands on in some way. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, this is, it is a huge difference and merch of that shit, like, I, I already own. Like, I own both of Dick Davies' albums. Okay. That's the thing. But anything beyond that wouldn't make sense, no. 
Okay, cool. That's an awesome answer. Uh, if you won a million dollars in a lottery, how much of it would you spend on comedy archiving? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Let's see. Buy a house first. Go on a little <laughs> vacation. Stock up on... Oh, God, I don't Yeah. Um, a million dollars, you're asking? Yeah. I'd probably want to start my own archiving firm. That's going to take a couple hundred grand. If I've already bought a house, yeah, a couple hundred grand possibly. Okay, like, like run 300,000. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I think I could possibly support myself on a company started with that kind of money. Yeah, I yeah. think you might be able to, too. I mean, Who I knows? think there's a, a demand for archiving. Uh, would you ever have a comedy archiving themed birthday party? Hmm, actually, maybe <laughs> if I could find a way to make that look cool. Because you know, here's what every time you say it, all I'm picturing is like the fucking uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm just picturing <laughs> shit that's been tea stained. It's like this is dull. Like everything is tan. That's all it is in my head. Even though I know better, yeah. I know there are glossy photos and shit. Like, yeah. Uh, but um, yes, okay. yeah. If I could find a way to make that happen, uh, like interesting, yes. I don't know what that would be. Weird comedy archiving themed games. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. But it'd have to be like Settlers of Catan, like fucking just way too deep. Okay. To the point where I'm the only one playing (laughs) 10 minutes in. Yeah. Like match the name of this obscure comedian to this (laughs) obscure album title. Yes. (laughs) Oh, this is wonderful. Uh, Would you ever do a comedy sketch about comedy archiving? I mean, now that you say mm-hmm. it, yeah, but now you, you've also now ruined the chance that I will make it. But yes, yes, if, <laughs> if I had thought of it, yes, that is something. Because I like to make fun of, you know, like when a stand-up, is, you know, they're their best when they're talking about themselves and who they really are. Well, yeah, I, f- I like picking on shit that I'm interested in. Yeah. Because usually it's dumb. I'm like, being this obsessive is stupid, but it's, I love it. It's my thing. I embrace it also. Yeah. I, to me, it's, it's a fascinating thing. And I think any... Obviously, comedy is really good at tearing things down, of taking something that needs to be mocked sure. and mocking it. Yeah. But I think it's also a great vehicle for just celebrating something that is intrinsically bizarre yeah. and interesting. Yeah. I think there's a good... there there. Yeah. I could make a good sketch out of that. The idea of like a forgotten comedian mm-hmm. who is more known for having been forgotten and rediscovered than having existed in the first place. Yeah. Like, that to me is fascinating. Yeah, on a level. On a level, yeah. I mean, if if people... Let's say anybody listens to the Dick Davey episode, like, more than normal people listen to it. On a level, that does become part of his story because that's what I have made it. Yeah. Because that's why I was interested. He's forgotten. And while I'm going to give people all the information you need to know about Dick Davey, including his real name, including, like, all this other crazy shit, (laughs) like... Um, yeah, that's true. That is potentially a part of his story. Yeah. Inevitably. That's fascinating to me. Um, if you could live, uh, forever, as long as you got to do some comedy archiving every day, would you want to do that? Well, we've established earlier, I'm never dying. So, yes. (laughs) So, so, yep. So, there you go. You're going to live forever, start Mm -hmm. your business. Yep. And it's going to just be comedy archiving every day. I would be the asshole who uh, people are like, you need to learn how to farm, Jason. This is the apocalypse. (laughs) Nah. Nope. I'm preserving this shit nobody cares about. Uh, All right. Final help, sister, are you question. Mm -hmm. If you were about to get a hold of a treasured piece of comedy history that you can archive. The bear is going down. The bear blocks your way. You take the bear. You take the bear down. I would, I, what did I say last time? I feel like it was something sneaky. Like, I would still try and be sneaky first. I respect an animal's right to yeah. protect a thing. Yeah. I'd try and be cool about it. I'm not going to hurt a bear. Yeah, so you're not going to hurt a bear. But you're, are, you're also not very afraid of bears, it sounds like. I don't know. I've never seen one. <laughs> can't be you too mean, afraid of something you've never seen, can you? Mean, you? in Maybe. the flesh. I mean, yeah. obviously, yeah. Right. 
You've never even seen a bear at a zoo? Oh, maybe I have. Now okay. that you say that, <laughs> I must have, right? I, I feel like you've probably I seen probably a bear. I probably have. I wasn't scared at the time. So, okay. you know, access that part of your brain. All right. Try and get around them. You just got me thinking in the comedy sketch mode because I like comedy sketches, but I don't write a lot of them because I yeah. wrote so much in the earlier part of my career that I got a little burned okay. out on them. I get that. But now you're you're getting me excited about just a, a conversation about a person, <laughs> a sketch where a person claims I've never seen a bear. Like, <laughs> how can that be possible? They're everywhere. <laughs> Have you never, you've, you've never seen the Charmin Bears commercial? <laughs> Nothing. Nope. I don't know. I couldn't draw you a bear. <laughs> I love that idea very much. Uh, all right. Excellent answer to the bear question. I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What kind of noise can you make for comedy archiving? Hmm. Uh, that's about it. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's all curiosity. Like, it is it's that curiosity. so much curiosity. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a great obsession because it is driven by a productive result mm-hmm. of I am going to finish archiving this thing. It is going to be preserved yeah. and driven by curiosity. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, how would you rate your obsession level on a scale of one to 10? One being the lowest, 10 being the highest. Where would you rate yourself right now? Okay. Right now, it's at least a nine. Okay. It's probably a 10. Yeah. I'm probably holding back from the truth. <laughs> I mean, no, it's a 10. Like, of the things that I'm doing, it, it gets in the way of other stuff. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's okay. a 10. How does it get in the way? Just because that's so where your mind and soul is? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, wish, I, could, I wish I could remember what I almost said out loud as I was researching the Dick Davey thing. Because I was in archival mode. Like, I was in research mode, which I kind of like. It's a, it's a high. Yeah. It's 100% a high. Especially if you don't have the answer yet. And, uh, yeah, there's something where I said, like... I think he and I would have gotten along. I almost literally said it out loud to no one. Right. And that's taking over your brain. Right. And I dreamt in newspaper clippings. And then there's the thought of like, again, if you have OCD and very dark thoughts, there's a whole lot of, I'm digitizing this. I'm digitizing this. I'm digitizing this. Wait a minute. What if it all goes to shit? Who cares that I just digitized it? It's better to have a physical copy of the thing. So that's way more important. So like, there's always a like, one thing goes, the other thing you have is still equally ephemeral. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I obsess over those thoughts, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I don't know what, I don't know the point of that, except that um, I'm depressed about it. <laughs> oh, I a understand. Ten. A 10. I, t- I think a 10 is fine. And I appreciate you being honest, because I'm, I'm sure I've said to you before, or you've heard me say, I love doing this podcast to discuss the whole range of what obsessed can mean to people. Because yeah. sometimes it's just like, I don't know, it's a movie I like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I watch it every two years. Why would I need to do <laughs> Right. Any more than that. Yeah. And then the, there are those of us, and I have certainly had these points in my life where like really obsessed to almost the, you know, denial of other things. Yeah. And I appreciate uh, your honesty. Why don't you do some plugs of where people can find you and your stuff? Okay. Um, I'm on Twitter because I didn't know any better at jklom, J-K-L-A-M-M. I'm also Jason Klom, but that is my alter ego for my movie that uh, you can, you can uh, there's a rough cut of my movie up, and it's <laughs> okay. meant to be a rough cut. At lookingforwardmovie.com. It is a sequel to the mockumentary I did in 2012. And it was a thing that we did as a series of vlogs in 2016. I cut into a rough movie. And it's one of those things where it's like, I've, I've got to do a full, full. like. But I put it out there in time for the uh, midterm election so people could watch it. Awesome. So that's out there. You can go to stolendress.com. That's all my podcasts and stuff. You can go to celerysoundrecords.com, which is my comedy record label, which is very tiny. But we uh, re-released a Paul Dooley album. Paul Dooley from 16 Candles had an album in 1961. We released a digital version of that. If we sell enough of them, a shitload, we could (laughs) re-release it on vinyl, but who knows? Yeah. Um, I feel like I had another thing that was important or something. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, yeah, you got some notes. Oh, um... 
No, that's about it. Uh, you know, I do have a mini series coming up about <laughs> the presidents of the United States of America and their music. It's something that I'm mildly <laughs> obsessed with and found out a friend of mine also loves. And um, on the first episode, we somehow managed to get the lead singer and guitarist of the presidents of the United States of America. So that's going to be called Unimpeachable. And you can find that at StolenDress.com also. That is awesome. You coming get so much going on. Coming Too out much. next year. Okay, cool. Uh, here's some quick plugs for this show, and then we'll do our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast that I co-host that is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. You can also support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash Scrimshaw. Special note, uh, as we're building up to it, uh, there'll be a live episode of Obsessed at SF Sketchfest. You can go to the live shows page on Joseph Scrimshaw to get reservations for that. My guests are going to be Rebecca Watson and Trace Bullyu talking about misunderstood water creatures. Yay! <laughs> That's amazing. It's a very, Holy very bizarre shit. topic. Yes, I'm excited for it. All right, here are silly final questions. Mm -hmm. Which superpower would you rather have, shrink to a tiny size or grow to an enormous size? Shrink to a tiny size. Okay. Why is that? I could play on my own Lego sets and <laughs> yeah, mostly play with my own toys. Like the life size of an asshole. But that's what I would do. No, that's great. That's great. Uh, I love that answer. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life and still be able to survive on it, oh. what would it be? Okay. In this situation, are ethics an issue? Is, is it possible? <laughs> Here's my question. Is it possible that there is ethically genetically create like a lab created eel sure i really love eel and i'm sad that i don't eat fish anymore okay so like an eel bowl okay fuck yeah i could eat that every day all the time that or like just about indian any indian food okay but eel eel so good bowls and, and terrible bowls of eel until the Eels heat death of the universe and cuddly little they're fucking they're the cows of the sea they're so beautiful <laughs> i know there's already a sea cow but you understand they're, they're so sweet Anyway. All right. Final question for everyone on the podcast is what is happiness? God damn it. I um, know. Uh, remembering. I was thinking about it today. And I was like, I don't remember what I answered last time. I don't I, care. I honestly don't either. Uh, remembering. And I, and it, I, it's only because this is what's on my mind. Yeah. And ironically, I forgot a plug. But uh, remembering is very important. I mean, it's what keeps people close to you. It's what keeps stuff like this, ephemeral or not, yeah. keeps this stuff alive. Yeah. And the simple act of remembering these things and keeping them alive is important. Like, it's at least good to me. If nothing else, like, I'm going to be so happy there's a portion of my life where I'm going to be super happy because I tried to help keep this thing around. Yeah. And it is it is this active type of memory. Yeah. And, uh, you know, things fall apart if you don't remember. Uh, you you don't learn anything if you can't remember. Yeah. That's it, I think. That's a really good answer. Uh, not only does it tie to your uh, <laughs> obsession, but I, I think that's a really great answer to the idea of all the different things that happiness can be, of certainly your happiness in the present day, I think both an individual and societally, uh, is greatly damaged mm -hmm. when we don't remember. Yeah. So I think uh, yeah. at the least remembering is a prerequisite mm -hmm. <laughs> to happiness. It is. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me on. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. That one other thing. I'm sorry about this. Uh, one other thing. Uh, my comedy album that should be coming out at the beginning of next year. 
uh, that we talked about a bunch. Trace Bullyu is going to be on it. So that's one of the reasons I, I uh, feel like I can bring it up. It's uh, called Dards and of Diddles. It was named by an AI. That is why it is uh, the stupidest name and doesn't mean anything. Uh, but it'll be coming out next year and then hopefully late next year on vinyl. 